Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory is presented by Felix Savatis Mercedes-Benz of South Charlotte, Charlotte's premier Mercedes-Benz dealer and the Carolinas' number one volume sales leader. Over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available. Visit mbcharlotte.com. As a governor, mayor, businessman, I know the game been played by the game. Now we are exposing the game for you. This is Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. Our guest today is Fox News host Brian Kilmeade. In addition to co-hosting the popular Fox News morning show Fox and Friends, Brian is also the host of Fox News Radio nationally syndicated The Brian Kilmeade Show and Fox Nation's What Made America Great where he reveals the hidden history behind some of America's most iconic locations that help shape our country. Brian will be doing his live stage show, America, Great from the Start, in Charlotte on August the 9th at the Booth Playhouse, and we'll be talking more about that in a few minutes. But first, Brian Kilmeade, welcome to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me on, Pat. I appreciate it. Brian, one question. Give me a personal example of the good, the bad, and the outrageous or funny that you've personally encountered in politics. And let's start out with the good. Give me a good story that maybe people don't know about some encounter you had with politics that that we as a country need to know about. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I, I witnessed it firsthand. And you know, being on the air in 9-11 when, when the planes hit and first everyone thought it was a Cessna and then it was obviously a jetliner and then they thought it might have been an accident, then it was real. And then having a chance to go down there and watching, uh, sadly, the towers fall and then seeing the rubble up close and personal. And then once uh, they tried, as they try to make sure that planes could fly and the attacks wouldn't continue and the Pentagon was hit and they began to rebuild, I watched as all the... All, all the bureaucrats and politicians teamed together to uh, to fix downtown. First, to uh, calmly, in a cool fashion, uh, in the most uh, in the most in the most uh, I, I guess respectful way possible, find any survivors and the bodies of those mm-hmm. underneath. Mm-hmm. To see the way everybody acted in concert, not blaming, just taking action. To see celebrities serving food during the day. Donald Trump was down there often. Evander Holyfield uh, in his offering everything he can. The whole Met and Yankee team uh, combining with uh, the mayor and rallying around the president. I had no idea who they voted for, but in the end, he was one, one guy's president. Then to watch as everything was gutted and then rebuilt. And then although it didn't go as quick as I wanted... Sooner or later, everybody got out of the way, and they designed the most remarkable memorial in my lifetime. Now, I spent a lot of times on Fox Nation doing what made America great and looking at history and going to presidential homes and seeing what was. But I watched the most horrific attack happen possible. And now I, I, put, I, I can go visit one of the most intriguing, insightful, awe-inspiring 
museums and tributes to those who lost their lives and to things that happened that day. I can't believe what they were able to put together. So that to me is politics, free market, firemen, cops, uh, combining efforts, engineers for one cause to do something, make something good out of something so horrific. So that to me is my good. Ryan, it's kind of interesting. I was mayor of Charlotte. I, I served as mayor of Charlotte for 14 years. And of course, in 2001, I was in my um, mayor's office when we saw the second plane hit the building on live TV. And uh, it was just amazing to watch Giuliani because as a mayor, we actually, I was a fellow mayor of Giuliani. In fact, I'd been there two months before that, touring his operations center at the World Trade Center. And what was amazing to me, and I'd love to get your feedback on that good part, Giuliani came, kind of came like the spokesperson for the nation as a mayor. And I found that other people coming up to me, Mayor McCrory, what's going on as opposed to going to the governor or the president at the time? Yeah, I mean, he gave a lot of credence to being a mayor. Uh, New York City the, is the financial hub of the state. And you go upstate New York, and a lot of uh, listeners who haven't been there they think everything's like New York City. It is what it's more like Iowa and Wyoming. It is wide open. And by the way, need of fracking. Uh, even though uh, environmentally it all checked out, this governor won't do it because it doesn't make Democrats look good. Yeah. But it would revitalize and change lives. A lot of people are hurting. But uh, you saw a mayor take charge. People appreciate great leadership at any level. But what leadership is is not being a bully and saying get out of my way. It's getting other people involved, not looking for credit. I think one of the great things that Giuliani did, he deflected all credit. He just did it. And that's what people appreciate, that you can't teach. He just said, I got to take action, never raised his voice, knew that everyone was looking at him as a point person. And, by the way, not everybody was behind him before the attack. Oh, no, he was very unpopular before the attack. I, I was walking the streets with him two months earlier, and he was at one of his lowest points. Going through a, a very public divorce, absolutely, with a with a TV anchor mm-hmm. who is very popular. So I don't, you know, I don't get involved in divorces. But when you have young kids and getting divorced, and you're a mayor of the number one city in the world, uh, outside yours, uh, number one city in the world, <laughs> or the, let's say one of the most popular cities in the world, and everybody's commenting on it, and you're a mayor that used to sit down before Trump was doing this with the Washington press conferences. Mm-hmm. He did it every day with the New York. They used to yell at each other. You would say, we would televise some of this. We would think it was the British House of Commons, <laughs> and, and that's the way it was. So yeah, you know, real it shows quick, what a mayor's impact can be. Before we go to the bad, I, you mentioned Donald Trump. He was, of course, in the private sector at that time. What what did Trump do during nine eleven that you personally saw? It was down there almost every day. I mean, he he was down there at least once a week, twice a week, putting himself in front of the cameras, talking about he'll do whatever needs to be done, not being very critical. of You know, he wasn't saying George Bush missed opportunities. You know, he was on our show every week, which I'll talk about later. But uh, he was common common sight. He was doing all the shows, stayed in New York City during that time, was able to witness it, have impact. And as Bernie Carrick said today as police commissioner, yeah. I saw him as often as any high-profile person during those times. Hmm. That's a great example. Okay. And he had a big push to rebuild the Twin Towers exactly the way they were, and he had a big press conference because he said it wants to go back in your face. But the bottom line is no one really was in thralled with the way the Twin Towers were designed. They thought it could have been done better. 
and I think it was. I just love what they've done down there. I do too. You know, it beats the, well any building that was built in the '60s and '70s is is bad architecture. It's almost Soviet style architecture anyway. Uh, that I think we all regret at this point in time. But the yeah. new building, you ought to be proud of it. And uh, how about the bad in politics? Something personal that you just go, are you kidding me that you personally witnessed or were involved with or or had to give feedback on? Wow. You know, the bad, you know, we get, you know, you, you mentioned you've been uh, attacked. It gets frustrating when you're uh, attacked unjustifiably. Sometimes you just make mistakes. And I'm on the air minimum six hours a day. And if I'm not making mistakes in an unscripted situation, I don't think I'm trying. I think it's kind of uh, – I don't think I'm truly putting a good effort forward because you got you got to go after it. There's a lot of things breaking and things happen. And you look back and I think to myself, that's not what I said. And sometimes you look back and go, wow, i got to go clarify that. I get it. But what I was stunned by is President Obama with all his poise and all his charisma went out of his way almost every month, six weeks – to talk about how Fox attacks him and doesn't give him a fair shot. Mm. I thought to myself, for eight years, you went around because Fox would actually not report everything he did as if he was walking on water. We would talk about the deficits. We would talk about the ramifications of make people being forced businesses, small businesses, to make people have insurance if there's over 20 employees. We talked about how uh, how high taxes were discouraging investment in different areas of the country and how vilifying uh, rich people probably was anti-American, and he was obsessed with Fox for almost eight years. And at the one point, he even boxed our Washington reporters out of coverage. It took the rest of the Washington media to uh, to force them to act. So it was nonstop push and pull. Well, you don't mind criticism. You, you, President Trump now is being attacked by every media outlet outside only a handful on a daily basis. And when he does stuff good and you can't deny it, when the growth is there, when the unemployment is low, they talk about something else. And they're 100 percent unfair. Uh, and, I mean, for you to write this Elijah Cummings story and not point out the fact that what Trump said was true, that, that Elijah Cummings actually described it the same way. You see how unfair it is. President Obama would get some tough questions from whether it was Brett Baer or whether it was uh, Bill O'Reilly or Jennifer Griffin, or whatever the handful of interviews he had. And sometimes you would jump in because he is a human filibuster. Now, look at the way they jump in on Trump. Jake Tapper, Chuck Todd. Um, they never let him finish a question. They treat him like he's some high school reporter. And when you interrupted Barack Obama, there was huge blowback. So he had the press protecting him, and he used his time to attack people that didn't, that didn't claim he walked on water. So I thought that was bad. Do the Jake Tappers of the world, and believe me, I've been on CNN and done the interviews, and they interrupted me constantly. They'd ask me three questions. I'm not even in the first sentence, and they're interrupting me. Do they know they're doing it? Do they know they're biased, do you think? When you talk about the I, bad I and positive, do you don't... think they know they're biased? Yeah, I, I think fundamentally. I don't know them, really. I've never talked to Chuck Todd in my life. talked to Jake Tapper a couple of times. I don't know them, so I can't tell you what they think. What I think is they are, uh, personally, they seem to be justifying their lack of balance because they feel he's unworthy. And they feel since he's unworthy and do things that are atypical for the office, it's okay to treat him in a 
unorthodox way and orthodox to be generous. But I can't really tell you what they think. I don't hang out in the lunchroom with them. So they have no interest in giving them, giving them a break uh, at all. Although I thought Chuck Todd gave him a pretty fair interview when they did sit down with him. And yeah, I do meet the press I, about every three months and I'm kind of the one conservative on the panel. And, but I have to, I'm on these panels and I've been on CNN and I've been on Fox and so forth uh, many times, but since I've left the governor's office, I'm on these panels occasionally and I notice they tend to interrupt the conservative, especially nonstop. on CNN and the MSNBCs. And you can't get a word in edgewise. Look at, look at what happened with uh, uh, Mulvaney this weekend. Oh. The Margaret Brennan didn't let him finish a sentence. But Mulvaney is so quick on his feet, it didn't matter. It hurt the audience and hurt her show. It didn't hurt him because he's got all the answers. But because he wouldn't agree, she kept cutting him off. And the week before, she did the same thing. She does, And she, the, next, the next guest... Let's just talk infinitum. I mean, to, to allow Bernie Sanders continue to say Medicare for all will eliminate bureaucracy. Are you kidding? It's the definition of bureaucracy. <laughs> we let him talk as if he makes sense. Does anyone want to ask Bernie Sanders, where have you done this? Where has it worked? Your governor tried it in Vermont. It crashed and burned. Nobody could afford it. Why have you been in Congress for 50 years and have almost no accomplishments except for crashing the VA? So how can you let him talk un- uninterrupted and say you're being fair? That just astounds me. It, it continues to bewilder me, too, and I've always asked. It's like dealing with a liar. Do they know they're lying or they've just gotten so used to it that they believe their lies themselves? And I'm yeah. wondering that about some of the journalists. Yes, yeah, so that's why I can't jump. I don't so know those guys. I can only know their work. Right. And um, obviously, they're smart guys. They just, they, I feel as though they just feel as though he is so so unworthy for the job. So when Ob- that they could say anything. So when President Obama went after Fox, did Non-stop. you have did you have any personal encounters with him in this in this area where? Well, you- the, the ironic thing is, he used to come on when he was Senator Obama competing with Hillary Clinton. Right. And they used to convince they were they were accusing us of being too nice to Hillary Clinton uh, because we found other things in the back and in, in the back on both. And when but when Barack Obama came when he had his book out he came and did our show was sitting in the green room by himself. I thought he felt like he was uh, treated fairly, but he never felt like he was going to come back. And you know he would you know he I don't care. But we were at the Washington Correspondents Dinner. He mocked Fox and Friends, which is kind of a compliment. But I just found it fascinating. I'm thinking to myself. For a show you don't watch, for a network you don't like, you certainly know a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, we're all hypocrites in that area, aren't we? Right. As a politician, I've got caught going, I hate your newspaper, but I read it every day. But if, see, I, I, am, I actually say that I've been watching less and less of the other channels. I used to try to like to scout guests for the radio right, or right. you know and get an idea but I, I go it's just so obvious what they're going to say I just we on our channel I know I'm biased I, because I'm here but you don't have to switch the channel to get another opinion I mean Dana's show and Shep's show totally different outnumbers 100% different than Fox and Friends you look at Martha McCallum's show it's nothing like uh Fox Report which has got balance uh, uh, on the panels every day and, and Martha McCallum's. Then you have opinion shows like Sean Hannity, which is very different than the opinion of Tucker Carlson, which is Tucker's very different from Laura, and we have a great news show at 11, Shannon. So you don't really have to flip the channel. We got everybody coming on. And there is some, seems to be a firewall between news and your opinion. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, there are people that bleed back and forth. For example, 
Um, if the news is breaking, they don't say we're turning it over to the news. I mean, we're up. We're doing it. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it. There's no time for opinion. So there's a fire. There's a shooting in California. The, you know, what do we – we came in, um, you know, with, this, with Sandy Hook or there's some tragedy during our show. I mean, we're, we're it. We're news. You want our opinion about it, we'll give you in the A box. After the news breaks and we covered it, the next day we'll come back and say, yeah, look at this gunman. Look at his background. I don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll give that. We'll give the story, then give opinion. Now, on Martha's show, you'll get some opinion, but it's usually from the guests. And on Sean's show, it's nonstop, this opinion. And on Laura's show, nonstop. And Tucker, nonstop. And that's good. I think when people are home... If they want to watch the regular news, go ahead. There's, there's Channel 115 on Sirius. Listen to us. Now it's streamed. And there's headline news every day. But guess what? Headline news gets a point one or a point two, And they do a good job. But the people don't want nonstop somebody reading the teleprompter. They, they want human beings. And they want personality, too. I think so, too. They want a human connection, empathy, and yeah. so forth. Outrageous in politics that you've personally encountered or funny that – maybe the public doesn't know about that this is a chance to tell the story of something outrageous, a personal encounter with a politician or something that you just went, I can't believe that just happened. Well, I don't have anything. I was trying to think of this ahead of time and I kind of came up short except for how bizarre it is on a regular basis that a guest that we had on our show every Tuesday for about seven years and sometimes Monday is president of the United States. And he (laughs) He calls in, he called in. I, I saw it recently. No, yeah, and he calls in recently even during the show. But you saw how quick he was and decisive he was on issues where he would call in never late, ever, ever, um, at 7.02, and he would know he'd be on about 7.04, and he would get his issues at 7.02, and he'd be able to ready to go. Very rarely would he ever kick something to the curb, usually because it was something with The Apprentice or, or a rivalry with Mark Cuban. Everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to get into that. You know, but besides that, Whatever. So you're talking about the economy. You're talking about international relations. You're talking about an ongoing war, uh, GDP, whatever it was. I, I got it. Culture. And he listened. He made a ton of news for us. And sometimes he made things harder on himself on us. But to think that, that Donald Trump would be, is president of the United States and that he was our guest every Tuesday is, is like surreal. So what do you do when you got to cut off the president and you got to make money and go to a commercial break? We don't. Um, we, we usually give him an hour. I mean, we, we go 45 minutes. We give, we schedule a half hour. We don't go to break with the president. So we'll just, do you see a it. difference in the, in the peak of the audience while oh, yeah. he's on then immediately? It basically doubles. Uh, so as soon as he pops on, because again, it's unscripted. He knows no idea what we're going to talk about, but he never does now these How days. How much advance warning do you typically get? Has he ever just a, a minute day. before the show go, I'm coming on, I'm calling. And you go, um, and the producer goes, "My God, the president of the United States is on the air." It's been a while. <laughs> I, I, it's been a while. He might have not that I remember. Usually, get a day's notice. So you know, and what he's done is he's eliminated the press secretary briefings, but he's the briefing. All right, I got to ask you this question about the outrageous. How do you feel when Saturday Night Live does something on you and you're watching it for the first time? Well, the first time I was like, why did I get the fat guy? <laughs> why did I get the what? Why did I get the fat guy? I'm like, <laughs> so wait a second. I'll take the dumb, but I did not think, I don't think I gave that impression. 
So, uh, you know, fat and dumb wasn't the most flattering thing. You know, we have a huge audience, but it's it's not, you know, we're not getting it's not Johnny major, Carson yeah, in it's 1970, the, yeah. 25 million. So a lot of people get exposed to me for the first time, and that's how they're always going to view me. There's nothing <laughs> I'm going to do about that. It kind of leveled off the last few years. But Have you ever talked to the actor who portrays you and, and said, hey, quit making me so damn fat? Well, that would be an insult to him, but he is a comedian, so if he's going to insult me, he should be ready to take it. Um, no, I've never spoken never spoken to him before. So real you know. quick, Brian, how did you find out that you were portrayed on Saturday Night Live? Did your phone just go off the hook late at night when you were in bed? The weird or- thing is I've never, ever seen the show live, and I wanted to, and I actually had an offer, and this is the first time I ever I got an offer. They go, Brian, we, got, we have you seats. We're not going to be able to tell you to that morning. So I go, I don't think, if you kids could give me tickets, I'm not going to know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to reschedule my day. So sure enough, in the morning I get a call and they go, we have two tickets for you. And I said, this is a friend of mine that used to work at NBC. Two tickets in the audience. To the audience. And they had not, not nothing conjunction, just ironic that I would have been in the audience had I been able to clear out my Saturday night watching myself being portrayed on television. So it would have been weird. It's, it's bizarre. But you know what I, what I miss? Saturday Night Live used to have used to be coy with their comedy. Yeah. Like you know, you know where they stood, but it was yeah. funny. Yeah, it's a, and now it is it is like a MS show from MS. It's a comedy show from MSNBC. Yeah, they don't even want. I mean, you're going to tell me there's no comedy and how off the hinges the press is on the president. I mean, how they're blaming everything on Trump. There's no comedy there. It wasn't to, insulting either. Uh, Chevy yeah. Chase doing Gerald Ford tripping, where he didn't even act like Gerald Ford. But it was funny. I mean, Ross Perot, uh, you know, the famous Gore debates. I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. You know, it was just, it was almost dry humor. And do, do you remember they parodied Barack Obama when he was Senator Obama competing with Hillary Clinton, who was rightly complaining? She goes, I get all these hard questions and I always got to go first. So, the <laughs> she, so remember that? I so, do. So they do this hysterical this is, I thought it was just fantastic uh, debate mock-up where Hillary Clinton, Medvedev, had just been named president. Right. And nobody knew his name. And he goes, the new pri- president of Russia is, she goes, um, starts with an M, it's Medvedev. And they go, Senator Obama, what is the new president of Russia? And he goes, Medvedev. He goes, very smart. His next question was, uh, President Obama, uh, Senator Obama, can I get you a pillow? Yes. You can't find these clips on, I'm telling you, go to YouTube. You cannot find these clips to play back. We always play stuff back, especially in the radio show. Right. They're almost impossible. They pushed that back because we all knew that the press was pulling for Barack Obama. Uh, It was so obvious. It was so obvious. And, And again, they didn't interrupt Barack Obama in an interview. They would not do it. He could... He would do the best filibuster of any candidate I've ever seen, and the media would let him get away with it. No question. All right. America, great from the start in Charlotte on August the 9th at the Booth Playhouse, a beautiful theater, by the way. You'll love downtown Charlotte. Uh, you'll end up moving here, by the way, after you come. You'll end It'll up be like the rest for, of New York. Y- y- absolutely. So what does the public going to get from America great from the start? More patriotism than politics, but we do open it up at the end. And what I do is I'm able to move through using uh, – it's going to be streamed live on Fox Nation. So you see it around the world. And on stage, I'm able to move through my books and through American history, George Washington's Secret Six, 
Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, and soon to be released, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. So I want to tell America's story. And I don't sit there and say, high five, everything's perfect. But I tell you, and I think people understand as I study and write it, that we got so close so many times to total annihilation or never coming to be. My hope is we'll get a new appreciation for what this country was, where we came from, and where we're going. Well, and f- I open up with the sports books where I talk about basically in life how it's so important to fail, even if it means, you know, because your success can be delayed, not denied. Because I wrote two books, The Games Do Count, and it's how you play the game. We interviewed 90 people about what they did in sports that set them out for success in life later. And I'm able to weave that through, and we kind of put it on stage. And then Fox Nation says, let's stream it, give people a chance to uh, talk to you after. So there's a whole unscripted thing feel to it. Well, you're right at the town square of Charlotte where you're going to be doing this on August the 9th. America, great from the start. And at that town square, right around that area, we actually attacked Cornwallis troops. And that's where the name Hornet's Nest came from, the Charlotte Hornets. And Cornwallis said it's a bunch of damn hornets around here. It's like a hornet's nest because we would almost use the old Viet Cong strategy because most of the Revolutionary War was fought in the two Carolinas, right near Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, uh, early on it was north, and then it moved south and ended in Yorktown, uh, famously, which is another place you got to visit. I did not know that about Hornet's Nest. And I just think that these are the stories. This is what people say. They never say, I don't like history. They say, I never learned like it. I never knew this part of history. And if I knew if history would come to life like this, I would have liked it more. And when people say, I don't like history, I say, do you like stories? They say, yes. Do you like true stories? They say, yes. Do you like true stories about your country? And they say, yes. They go, welcome to American history. Let's learn. I mean, we don't have to learn. Let's understand it. We never said we were perfect, but I think what's great about us, we try to be, and we hold ourselves up to that standard still today. Brian Kilmeade, what a great idea for a live stage show. America, great from the start in Charlotte on August the 9th at the Booth Playhouse. I look forward to seeing you in person, and I'm sure you'll have a great turnout. And don't forget about the Hornet's Nest history. Right where you are. Cornwallis, the reason Cornwallis lost in Yorktown is because he lost most of his uh, troops in Charlotte and Greensboro and Kings Mountain and parts of South Carolina. He was worn out by the time he got to Yorktown. Didn't uh, have the guts to surrender himself. In fact, General Green, Greensboro and Greenville are both named after General Green. Don't tell anybody they're going to change it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're great. they might tear down the statues any minute. All right, briankillme.com slash tour to see you in person. We're just about sold out. We opened up more VIPs yesterday. Oh, well, that's me all the way. I know. I mean, you know, know, come well, on. Then you're going to be forced to have quality time with me, so I don't know if you want that, Governor. We're honored to have you on the Inside Game of Politics with Pat McCrory, Brian Kilme. We'll see you in Charlotte soon. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. To contact the show, Email Pat McCrory Show at WBT.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT or at WBT on Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. 
Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull. Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.